Well, hello again, and uh, welcome to the IC Companies and Markets podcast. As you can probably tell, I'm not John Human. I'm Mark Robinson. John's away at the moment. Uh, well-deserved leave. Actually, I think he's uh, celebrating his birthday, or perhaps commiserating. So, uh, all our best wishes go out to John. Ian Smith's away this week as well, and so we've got a bit of a skeleton uh, staff at the IC. But uh, all the people that matter are with me today. I'm joined by uh, Bradley Gerard, our uh, news editor. And our resources writer, Alex Newman. Bradley, I, I guess we'll kick off with the news as ever. I mean, what's been happening this week? An interesting thing is the Bank of England obviously recently announced it would be buying up corporate debt as part of its um, extended quantitative easing programme. It's actually issued now the list of companies whose debt it will purchase. Uh-huh. Um, and it's quite interesting, really, because a lot of the companies are really, really big companies. You would kind of almost question why why the central bank is buying their debt really there are tobacco stocks there there's power companies um you know businesses such as apple even um well, who, who really don't need the help in lowering their borrowing costs well mark carney might just be looking to look as if he's doing something anything really true um i just think um i don't know there was a, a comment out from um royal london asset management uh this week and, and i kind of agree with the point of um jonathan platt who's the head of fixed income over there who said that basically he was disappointed that things like bonds from sectors such as social housing weren't in there because arguably the point of quantitative easing is to you know spread the love throughout the economy whereas if all you're doing is buying bonds of you know incredibly stable companies whose borrowing costs are already low and some of whom's you know contribution to the uk economy is small mm. why why is the bank doing that so i thought that was quite it's quite interesting to see the list well there's a central point there as well with all, all of the qe uh, programs both here and uh, say in america the actual uh, money supply hardly changed at all uh, and so you know it feeds through into the argument what did it actually do for the uh, for the wider economy other than give a semblance of uh, st- stability i'd say exactly so there's definitely an argument that really what the bank should be doing is maybe buying slightly riskier bonds have a higher yield and helping you know mm. compress the yields of those types of companies to help those businesses get through although then i suppose you'd have the the, the opposite argument of well why is it buying such risky debt but um yeah it's the list is interesting it is on the bank of england website it's quite easy to find um it's worth having a look at and yeah i just um it's well the latest stage in this very long and interesting experiment. Mm, indeed, indeed. And and so, what else have we got through this week as well? I noticed there was uh, you've you've written a piece there about uh, Burleywood Capital buying into the football. Well, yeah. not football so much, football gambling, football pools. Yeah. So um, it's it's another kind of um, I mean, not necessarily private equity deal, I suppose, which is something we've talked about a lot. And more more venture capital. Um, but yeah, um, there's a company called Sportec which owns the the football pools which is apparently the world's oldest sort of um, football gambling um, business, really. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the mooted proposal is that Burleywood Capital will buy the football pools business from Sportec and launch a name-listed company within which to house it. So we could see a name-listed stock in the market just made up of the football pools business initially, which is quite interesting. I don't know, we were, we were talking about this earlier, the, the, the types of floats that are coming to the market. I mean, we've had, you know, this this would be a, a gambling one. We had another one recently. We've had a lot of clothing stocks recently. Well, we've had uh, Biffa announced today as well. Biffa today. So uh, the number of IPOs just, just kind of sort of scanning my memory the past few weeks seems to be increasing and i don't know if there's any sort of uh, correlation about 
you know where markets are and the number of IPOs there are. But well, I think I think obviously in this case there there must have been some reluctance to come to market prior to the uh, the June vote on the referendum, and so we there's a, there's a bit of a backlog. I mean we've we've heard this um, we've heard this from various sources as well. But the Biffle one is interesting as well. That's a billion plus uh, valuation given to the. I mean, you can't help but uh, notice them if you travel around London or well, most places through the UK, actually. But it's interesting, one to watch over the next uh, few months. Uh, I might bring in uh, Alex Newman now as well. Alex has been very busy in the magazine as ever this week, and uh, there's a couple of. Well, he's contributed a couple of things to the news. Uh, one links to uh, Hurricane Energy, which uh, I believe that was one of your tips there, Alex. Yeah, so when uh, when tips go this well, they become news, obviously. Yes, uh, of course. So, so Hurricane Energy was this uh, Shetland uh, Shetland's driller, which got financing in April from uh, Crystal Amber and Kerrigan and others. Crystal Amber, uh, one of the funds that Simon Thompson um, follows, mm-hmm. uh, and that was to explore the Lancaster field, which they've that they've. Uh, had a had a big stake in for a long time, mm-hmm. and it's you know I mean they've effectively just hit pay dirt. So I mean when this happens, you see you see very very wild uh, share price swings. In in the case of uh, Hurricane Energy, there was a huge leap uh, on the day. I think it was up around fifty percent. Um, it's done quite well on our, our tip. So we we got in there just before the moment, the drilling momentum over the summer uh, started to kick in. So uh, good news for Hurricane. Their results are out in a couple of weeks as well. So I've kept them on the buy, even though the valuation is. Is now looking uh, is, is asking quite a lot, so uh, so yeah, sure. I, I think there could be could be could be more new, good news ahead. Always the uh, always the case though with uh, oil stocks that do well, um, even given prices at the moment, uh, they can be erratic. But you know you 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 you'd be loath to sell out if you've seen examples in the past. But of course it works the other way too, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, another piece that's a really good piece in the news spotlight this week. Uh, relates to the collapse of the Hanjin uh, shipping company, a massive uh, South Korean, I think it's about the seventh biggest uh, shipping company in the world. And, or was, uh, yeah. Or was, rather. I believe you looked at some of the wider ramifications here. Yeah, so ha- Hanjin shipping uh, company is a South, a South Korean shipper. They mainly specialise in, in the containers where 90% of our goods on the high street are, are shipped via... Mm. Some people have called this this collapse the, the Lehman Brothers moment. I think there was a... There was a a counterparty to Hanjin, who described this as a sort of Lehman Brothers moment for the shipping industry. I mean, on the face of it, this is this is a big, big collapse, and there's you know lots of stranded cargo at sea. But you I, talk about counterparty risk there. There was about fourteen billion dollars worth of uh, goods. Indeed, uh, yeah. So we've got the likes of Samsung, you know, who who used Hanjin with with millions and millions of dollars worth of uh, goods set for the you know for the, for the Christmas rush. Uh, just floating around somewhere just in the Atlantic, um, but I mean, in terms of the the ramifications for the wider industry, it's led to a bit of a spike in in rates. Um, I mean, rates are shipping rates are are extremely low levels, where basically sh- shipping companies like Hanjin, which is obviously the reason why they collapsed, just can't make any money because like, there's massive overcapacity in Indeed, the industry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's all related to you know, the, the the broader commodities and global economic growth trends that we've seen over the last year so um, yeah actually i mean you know trying to um you know trying to sort of reduce the the overall global fleet is a bit like trying to turn around a super tanker if i might use that rather you, you can yeah yeah odd yeah analogy <laughs> yeah i mean it's it, it's uh so it's in a way it's probably it, it's probably in a way necessary for the the shipping industry for there to be these sort of collapses in a sense mm, because bad blood so, yeah there's so much overcapacity it's obvious that even though this was a south korean state bank which was backing hanjin 
they clearly just did not see a future for this this company so so highly indebted as it was. Well, it's it's one to watch certainly. So I mean, I, I know we we spoke earlier in the week about this, um, perhaps looking at the um, uh, implications for the insurers. But it's it's you were saying it's it's too early to tell at this stage. Yeah, and it's quite it's quite intangible. So it's hard to know what the under you know the underwriting mm. criteria are and the the, the the various premiums. I mean, the, the Lloyd's. In terms of the Lloyd's listed market, I mean there is there is expo- there is exposure there to to shipping and shipping container insurance. I think that- I, wonder, I wonder what the crews are doing as well because presumably they're not getting paid anymore. And if they if they had a, like a, a huge sort of shipment of uh, whiskey going out from Scotland or something. It, I mean, they could just run it, run it around and sell it, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> pirates. Yeah. Uh, as I say, it's it's a really it's a really interesting story, and, it, and you know this this could have um, sort of major implications for for other industries. But at, at this stage, we really really don't know what's going on. No doubt, the guys at uh, at, at the Lloyd's will be working over the time to try and find out their level of exposure as well. But I, I just find it amusing that you would have you know that amount of goods. I mean, when I wonder what proportion were perishable goods as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it's coming out of South Korea, so these are these are probably more manufactured sort of high items. End, yeah, high yeah, end uh, manufactured items in electronics. So uh, I doubt there's many rotting um, containers out there. There was um, I read the piece about a documentary maker who was on one of these ships that stranded out at sea, and she was making a documentary called like Twenty Two Days at Sea or something. But it's turned into a lot more than that now. Oh, well. So maybe once her film's finished, we'll have a bit of a better idea of uh, what life was really like for those Indeed. guys stuck out at sea. This week's uh, cover feature uh, was uh, co-written by myself and uh, Daniel Liberto, who's uh, decamped to Sicily, but Daniel still uh, writes quite regularly for us. Really, it's um, it was a, a piece that's just looking at uh, British, some British companies and some, some sectors that we still hold um, a major technological advantage. And uh, it's a bit of an antidote to all the naysaying it, uh, that was leading up to and just after the uh, Brexit vote. When uh, our readers get hold of it, uh, there's a lot of Union Jack livery involved in this. But it was just to really just um, highlight just how um, advanced the UK is in some areas of manufacturing still, because I think the persists is that we don't actually make anything anymore but when you um, uh, I did a little bit of research and uh, looked at the levels of uh, patent applications which are on the rise and plus registrations for business um, it may be I, I make the contention anyway that it may be this is the point where we've actually transitioned away from finally transitioned away from our traditional industry base uh, because if you if you speak to anyone under the age of 40 now um, they're fully invested in, into the idea of uh, a technological value-added future for the United Kingdom so I thought it was high time that uh, we had a look at that. Can I ask, so yes. I mean patent applications alone is that can that do you, can you take that as a bellwether? Do you think? Uh, well, in isolation, of course, it it doesn't mean anything. But I think I think it just point it points after a, a number of years where where this was more or less moribund, uh, they're starting to pick up the growth. The, the trend is is an upward trend, mm. uh, and plus there's a lot more international patents being filed now uh, from the UK too. And why you know compared. Compared to South Korea, for instance, uh, the, the South Koreans, I think, uh, register as maybe three or four times as many patents as we do as well. So there's obviously uh, still room for improvement there. And um, I, did, I, I concentrated mainly on, um, on uh, the defense sector 
but also Daniel's having a look at uh, the UK automotive, which we lead in. We didn't even cover uh, pharmaceuticals, um, but it's just to give a, a flavour that there are still um, uh, opportunities here. And the, and the tech market index has done uh, very well over the last few years as well. I also uh, highlighted a company that uh, the IC has been uh, rather keen on for, for some time, uh, Quadrise Fuels, who, who are a producer of uh, this MSAR range of fuels, these uh, water-based emulsion fuels that um, have a number of applications. But uh, it's, it's a cl- classic story as well about how um, where investors really need patience uh, for this type of technology. It's, it's in its final testing stages now with Maersk, and we could see a rollout of the, of the fuel over the next couple of years. Interestingly, I call it a disruptive uh, technology, but Chris Dillo in his economics piece this week uh, dismisses the notions of disruptive uh, <laughs> technology. So, so there you are, differing voices at the IC. Maersk as well, uh, picking up lots of the, uh, lots of the customers uh, oh. from Hanjin just to tie yeah, so everything, in- everything we put in the magazine this week everything together. is tied so uh everything yeah. is so tied it's so their their fuels the quadrosis fuels will uh, certainly be put to added use i imagine fantastic all right then i, I guess um we'll just move quickly i mean it's uh, the result season the interim result season is uh, fast approaching its close although you you wouldn't realize that there's another 14 pages of results in the magazine this week another 14 next week as well so when will it ever end who knows uh but bradley if i could bring you bring you back in here as well um, anything strike you? I mean, you, you were looking at uh, you were looking at Weatherspoons this week, I believe. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to personify the reaction of the the Leave campaign to the EU referendum, you could just really look at Weatherspoons' share price. Um, Chairman Tim Martin was a, a very vocal advocate of us exiting the EU, and the shares have just gone on a riotous run um, ever since the referendum. That's marginally unfortunate for us because we've got them on a the sell tip, but. Well, the, the um, I think the the weather's helped as well. I mean, it's what I mean. I, I cut normally. I'm aghast when you read company reports and they blame the weather. But in in this case, for the pubs, it's um, it, it's been a boon, really. Absolutely right. I think that's true. Um, I mean, we 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 are still remaining bearish on it because um, I mean, one reason is the operating margins um, they decreased from seven point four percent to six point nine, um, and while Weatherspoons did. Um, increase wages for its staff twice before the national living wage it's not really entirely clear whether it will need to raise them again to meet the requirements of the new Mm. wage that came in earlier this year and furthermore the company is buying back a lot of the shares which is helping so tim martin the chairman now owns nearly 30 percent is actually going to have to apply to city regulators to avoid having to make a compulsory offer for the group which is part of um sure. uk sort of uh, share ownership law once uh, one shareholder owns 30 percent mm. well I, I obviously thought, i mean we've got them on a sell at the moment but they're always an interest, interesting stock as well i mean i i, said, I would suspect the question that you raised regarding the national living wage that's going to have a regional tone to it as well. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, there's an um, an argument, I suppose, to suggest that it's, there's it's likely Weatherspoons' estates will be very broadly across the UK, not very concentrated like a rival such as Fuller Smith and Turner, which is quite um, London and or inner M25 centric mm-hmm. um, compared to Weatherspoons, anyway. So it is a lot more regional, which could have its benefits. But as you say, um, you know, if if we don't get anything moving in the northern powerhouse of the economy and sort of regional areas are not performing quite as well as London, then there could be an issue there, as you say. Yeah, indeed. Uh, another uh, company that you've covered this week, one that I took an interest in for some time, actually, was MP Evans, the uh, palm oil producer. 
Yeah, palm oil is an interesting one. A lot of our readers are quite um, intrigued um, about the companies that, that you know, produce palm oil. Um, MP Evans is arguably doubling down on, on the soft commodity because um, it's now rid itself of, of any relationship to um, Australian cattle and beef herds. Yeah. It sold those um, early this year. So it is purely focusing on palm oil. It's planning on, in the short term, adding roughly 14,000 hectares to its already 35,000. So, and, and these are on uh, what might be termed existing agricultural land, bra- well, yeah. brownfield sites. Yeah, like exactly. Term. So that was one thing I kind of raised on the call with management was, you know, I said palm oil has a um, marginally sort of controversial air about it. And um, the chief executive kind of hit back and said, well, actually, arguably what the most controversial controversial thing about palm oil is is the destruction of rainforest with because somebody wants to plant palm oil plants um and mp evans you know does not go anywhere near primary or well-established secondary rainforest they have um they said there's plenty and plenty of land in indonesia which is obviously comprised of thousands of islands upon which to plant um you know palm oil crops without destroying rainforest well the difficulty with it is it's it has to grow within a a narrow tropical band really it's it's one of those t- type of um, commodities right? but it, it it has it's it's taken millions of people out of poverty in southeast asia there's no doubt about that at all however it has had a detrimental effect on the environment you know subsistence farmers over there will just burn virgin forest in order to clear it i think that's the thing that, that that's the problem about it and a controversy potentially but if uh, an established company like this you know it, it would be very clear and obvious i think quite quickly if it was destroying rainforest and planting yeah, sure. plants it, it's absolutely not doing that so and there's I the, the industry, industry uh, body as well whose name escapes me at the moment i mean it's a voluntary code they follow but i, I think there is a, a genuine attempt by by the main um producers vilmar is, is the largest one in the world to make sure that it's within acceptable environmental uh, guidelines yeah but this is saying I mean, if there are subsistence farmers in particularly indonesia and malaysia both of well the countries together are responsible for between 85 and 87 percent of global palm oil production then yeah there are going to be some farmers out there who are probably going to cut a few trees down they're not supposed to to plant some palm oil and it's, it's very difficult to avoid as a consumer as well because it, it contains everything well it's in in foodstuffs and uh, pharmaceuticals in some cases it is yeah it can be quite difficult to avoid yeah, I think Unilever accounts for 7% of global demand. That's probably true. That's it. Uh, and Alex, obviously, has been covering uh, the oil companies that they come along, and Enquest, our old friends there, uh, reported during the week. Yes, Enquest, along with Premier Oil, one of the very sort of highly indebted North Sea, North sea plays, they, like Premier Oil, are sort of walking this tightrope of debt, and mm. I don't think they're quite at the point that Premier Oil are at in terms of terms of negotiations but uh management has flagged that they need to raise additional liquidity i mean when i wrote this result early this early this week the greatest potential source of that uh, liquidity would be uh, a delet group mm-hmm. taking a stake in the in the, the kraken exploration which or the kraken project which is going to come on stream next year yeah and so there was there was talk of uh, of a 20 percent stake in uh stake in that which could raise sort of towards 200 million dollars that's fallen through as of today so Enquest shareholders and retail bondholders probably, I think, it's a, probably a point at which to look at the shares again, m- make that call. They will quite possibly have to do some sort of sort, sort of a farm out deal soon. Um, but uh, 
what, but yeah, what, finely you, balanced. Do you remember at the top of your head what the impact of uh, the Kraken will be when it comes online? I mean, will, will, will dramatically alter Enquest cash flows then? Kraken coming online will will increase uh, from from sort of mid two thousand and seventeen. Will 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 greatly increase the the number of barrels. They've also got the uh, long awaited production from the Scalti and Craith swells, mm-hmm. um, and uh, drilling earlier this year from uh, the Alma and Gala uh, Gala wells uh, also added. Uh, quite a significant amount to the uh, to daily production, but um, I mean, it, it, it's still you know with the, the oil price where it is, it's still a bit of a tightrope, particularly when they they've got 1.8 billion dollars of non-current debts on their on their balance sheet. So having having to address these uh, longer term uh, events uh, in tandem is. It, is, is going to be a very, very testing. Uh, there's, journey. there's no. Um, well, is there any chance of them coming back to the market? Or I don't think that's been signalled uh, as of yet. But I mean, we can sort of never re- rule these, rule these things out. Um, do you'd imagine that they would, they would have additional the other uh, sources of financing if people were going to start to get bullish on the oil price on mass? Yeah, you I would think. think so, wouldn't you? And and even so, I think shareholders have invested enough time and capital in it so far. So they, they, I would think, with new, all this new production coming into view, that they would probably find backing anyway. But then again, they'd probably be able to get uh, primary finance eventually. Yeah. I would imagine. Okay, well, I think that's about it uh, for this week. Uh, Next week, uh, chances are we'll have both John and Ian uh, back for the podcast. But until then, thanks very much and goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.